This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Wednesday afternoon, March 15th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. Financial shares are indeed falling as Credit Suisse becomes the latest crisis in the banking sector. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, federal regulators have approved a much-debated rail merger that's expected to significantly increase freight train traffic in parts of the Chicago area. We're joined by Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University based in Chicago. Joe, thanks for joining us today. And let's begin with some history. A long time ago, the Chicago, Milwaukee, St. Paul and Pacific, once known as the Milwaukee Road, built a main line from eastern Iowa down to Kansas City, Missouri. And that is where it interchanged with the Kansas City Southern Railroad. Uh, cars exchanged for decades. And that also made, uh, via many mergers and acquisitions later, the Canadian Pacific Railroad a natural merger target for the KCS, which now does big business in Mexico. And, Joe, this has a big impact on the Chicago area. Oh, it sure does. And it does go back to the Milwaukee Road. So all those metro riders who are using Milwaukee district lines, those are uh, old Milwaukee Road, and they're going to be uh, affected by this. So uh, we have two uh, giants here, Kansas City Southern, which isn't as big as you know Union Pacific and others, but it's, uh, it's really number five in size. And they're merging with Canadian Pacific, which has a huge presence. So it's almost like an hourglass, this huge set of routes through Canada and the Great Lakes bundling through Chicago to Kansas City, and then it widens in the south and routes to Mexico. So this has been a real soap opera. I mean, Metra uh, has voiced its serious concerns, Amtrak's for it, local communities have opposed it. And we're all surprised today the merger was approved uh, without a whole lot of conditions on uh, giving up routes and making promises. So it's a uh, it's quite a surprise. Normally, when there is a merger, there are great. You got to spin off certain lines to certain cities, and there's a whole thicket of uh, rail service issues you have to unravel before the federal government uh, gives a gives its blessing to a uh, union of two railroads. But as you point out, uh, no such conditions today in the Chicago area. Of course, uh, since uh, we are talking about two metro lines, uh, the two uh, affected routes include uh, Chicago. Uh, North to Milwaukee, so that includes uh, portions of the Milwaukee District North Line up to Rondout Junction, and then on the West Line out to Elgin and points beyond. And Metra dispatches uh, both of those routes, uh, portions of those routes, and uh, they're going to have to juggle uh, more and longer freight trains, at least six more per day. That's exactly right. And uh, you see the big yard south of uh, O'Hare Airport, that's Canadian Pacific. So those two routes are really uh, uh, yet to be seen what's going to happen. The models have shown that the six or eight trains are going to add won't significantly affect uh, traffic. You know, but you really have no way of knowing. We could have another oil boom. We could have 
uh, a shift in traffic and suddenly we have a couple dozen coming through town. But uh, I do think uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of oversight. I guess the, the Surface Transportation Board, which is run by Marty Orberman, who's a former uh, Chicago alderman, by the way, uh, put a seven-year oversight on this just so they can watch it really closely to make sure these impacts aren't happening. Because you know what can happen with a two-mile freight train you know, going at five miles per hour through, uh, through Bensonville. I mean, that could be a pretty significant uh, traffic delay. So that's really where the rub is in Chicago is those grade crossing delays. But uh, this is uh, uh, was two years in the making. So I think uh, uh, this oversight is going to get a lot of a uh, lot of emphasis. Yeah, I think ask any driver who's been stuck at, a, at that crossing over uh, First Avenue in River Grove or perhaps Harlem on the northwest side of Chicago about those traffic delays as the trains slowed out. Slow down and stop at the yard in Bensonville. Joe Schwederman, professor of public services and director of the Chattuck Institute at DePaul University based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, an update on the banking crisis from CBS's Jill Schlesinger. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Financial stocks are under heavy pressure today following the failures of two major U.S. banks and now problems in the banking sector overseas. Let's get the latest from Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst. Jill, thank you for joining us today. We know what happened with the Silicon Valley Bank and with Signature Bank in New York. What is troubling Credit Suisse these days? You know, the Credit Suisse banking saga has been going on for quite some time. So I just want to point out that there's uh, the news of this week is not actually directly related to what happened here in the United States, but Credit Suisse has had a lot of management issues, a lot of turnover, a lot of problems. This week, the bank announced that it had found what they called, quote unquote, material weakness in its financial reporting. In other words, we're a bank and we have no confidence in the numbers that we've been reporting for years. And when they went to look at maybe raising some more money from some of their larger shareholders, the shareholders understandably were like, we're not putting more money in until we understand what those material weaknesses really are. Well, this has caused a huge sell-off in shares of Credit Suisse. And I think it's the, the most important thing to remember is that so much of the banking system is based on confidence. And this is one extra piece of news, even though we knew that Credit Suisse was sort of a problem child of the European banking system. It's one more piece of news that shakes the confidence of investors, of the banking system. And so that really put the pressure on for the selling that's occurred today. Yeah, it sounds like uh, investors are selling off today, uh, heading for the hills until they can you know, really look under the hood of some of these uh, bank balance sheets. Well, I mean, I think that's right. But, you know, there's another aspect of this, which is, the bank's balance sheet, say, at a J.P. Morgan Chase or at a Citigroup or a Bank of America or Wells Fargo, those balance sheets actually look quite strong today. In fact, stronger than they were in 2008. I think that what maybe these two stories really do have, these, these transatlantic stories kind of have in common is this. You know, for many years, the world was awash in cash. Low interest rates meant that you could borrow money essentially for no cost and then invest with that money and take on really smart risks, but sometimes really dumb risks. And 
the idea of having low interest rates kind of glossed over many problems that we were that were sort of underneath the hood of not just these banks but of companies. Well, now we've had a year of rising interest rates where all the global central banks have been raising interest rates to fight inflation. And when you raise interest rates so fast and, and so dramatically over the course of just a year, what we often see is that over history, those big periods often will lead to a financial accident. It sort of exposes the problem that was created when interest rates are really low. And I think that may be the common thread of these two stories. Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for your insight on what's troubling the banking sector these days. Coming up next, the latest measures of the economy, including the report on retail sales. Compounding your interest with an economy of words, this is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The latest report on retail sales is out, along with key data from the manufacturing sector. Let's break it down with the help of Bob Bruska, chief economist, fact and opinion economics based in New York. Bob, thank you for joining us today. You know, it's it's always something, Bob, if if the banking sector if the banking <laughs> sector are you? are you channeling Gilda Radner? I am actually. If if the banking sector decided to uh, mind its P's and Q's this week, uh, we would be talking about a rather encouraging inflation report today when it comes to wholesale prices. Yeah, it was a good PPI. Um, even services prices uh, have behaved in this report. That's uh, quite good, but of course, there's also the Empire State report that was exceptionally weak, um, and the NAHB, the Home Builders report on housing, a little bit better, but still a lot of weakness in housing. Um, you know, there are still lots of problems in the economy, and then of course, this this banking sector problem, which uh, is just exactly the kind of frosting we don't need on this cake. Well, to continue the food metaphor, there was a very good uh, uh, analogy I saw this week about uh, the Fed interest rate hiking cycle. It's like uh, getting ketchup out of a bottle, and uh, each interest rate hike is uh, you keep smacking the bottle, nothing happens, and it all pours out. And uh, that's leading me to the February report on retail sales, where retail spending declined uh, four-tenths of a percent in February compared to January. At what point, when you look at declining spending, do you say, this is the interest rate hikes having their intended effect versus, uh-oh, we have a problem. Well, um, here, here's the thing about the rate hikes. I mean, this is a very complicated thing, and I'm going to try to do this real quickly. But, you know, the effect of interest rates on the economy really come from interest rates relative to inflation. So what's happened is the Fed had these very rapid rate increases which obviously put people in financial markets at risk, you know, because if you're in the financial markets, you owned a bond, you know, you think of it having an interest rate of 2%, 3%, 4%. And so if the Fed jacks up the federal funds rate, all of a sudden this is going to really disturb the interest rate market. And it can create all kinds of losses or, or gains if you're smart about being short at the right time. But it's a nominal event. The impact on the economy is a real event. And for that, we want to know what interest rates are relative to inflation. You may be aware that the, that the federal funds rate is still below the inflation rate. And so from an economist's perspective, um, the Fed has not yet begun to tighten. The Fed has not yet begun to tighten in a way that would affect the economy. People are talking about you know, the recession being delayed, but why should we have a recession if we still have 
you know, the inflation rate above the Fed funds rate. I mean, it still it pays you to borrow money. You know, if interest rates are, are 5%, inflation is 10%, well, how, how is that a problem? If you raise interest rates from 5% to 10%, now inflation is 15%, how is that a problem? So this, this is the thing. The Fed has been slow. It's communicated poorly. It's got people focused on nominal interest rates. Nominal interest rates are not the issue. And yet now, nominal interest rates are what are killing the financial sector, but not the real economy. That's it. And then, uh, so, so it, it seems like that's kind of the, the dilemma for everybody here. That is the debate throughout 2022. It's continuing through 2023. It's how everybody sets their financial positions for the day, the month, the year. Is what, where, where, where is the, the intersection of all these, uh, all these different trends? And, and, and I'll ask you, but it doesn't seem like there's a real definite answer. Well, right now, the intersection seems to be a banking sector crisis, because if you have a real banking sector crisis, it will slow the economy. It will reduce aggregate demand. The Fed will not have to raise interest rates anymore, and the economy will slow. And uh, the Fed will get the end result that it wanted, not quite the way it wanted. Um, You know, economists often compare interest rates to chemotherapy, which is uh, nobody would agree just to have chemotherapy. You don't go to the corner and say, hey, I want some chemotherapy. You know, nobody wants that. But if you've got cancer, that's the treatment. Okay, it's a dangerous treatment. And unfortunately, the way it works is by trying to uh, kill your cancer before it kills you. But uh, sometimes it kills you and doesn't kill the cancer. So um, that's what monetary policy is like. That's how it works. It's not a pleasant thing. It's not an elegant thing, but that's how it works. And all this pressure on the Fed to try to keep it from raising interest rates was misplaced and put the Fed in a position to have to raise rates exceptionally rapidly because it, for a long time, didn't raise them at all. And that's where the risk came from. Bob Bruska, chief economist, fact and opinion economics based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, putting together a retirement plan regardless of your age. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get Everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 1059. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Leaders of suburban communities are set to react to the approval of a controversial freight railroad merger. Russia moves to recover an American drone shot down over the Black Sea. Personal Finance Wednesday, managing your retirement assets no matter what your age is. Also on the financial front, car buying tips from a former car salesman. WBBM business markets are still lower. The Dow is down 541 points. The Nasdaq down 90. S&P 500 down 56. We have 43 degrees right now in Chicago. Going up to a sunny 50, it's 12.31. Topping our news at the half hour, suburban mayors and village presidents are gathering this hour to discuss approval of a railroad merger that's expected to increase freight train traffic in multiple communities. The details from CBS News correspondent Allison Keyes. 
Canadian Pacific is spending $31 billion for Kansas City Southern now that the U.S. Surface Transportation Board has approved the merger of the nation's two smallest railroads. The review took so long because this creates the only railroad linking Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. The Transportation Board says the service will facilitate the flow of grain, automotive parts, and finished vehicles, as well as other goods and containers. It says the merger will add more than 800 new union jobs in the U.S. Allison Keyes, CBS News. Russia says it will try to recover debris from a U.S. drone brought down over the Black Sea yesterday. The latest from CBS News correspondent Cammy McCormick. The drone went down after a Russian fighter jet clipped its propeller, but officials say it's in very deep water and unlikely to be recovered. The drone was conducting a surveillance mission when it was approached by two Russian jets, a hazardous episode, according to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who called it part of a pattern of aggressive, risky, and unsafe actions by Russian pilots in international airspace. The U.S. military says that before the collision, the Russian jets dumped fuel on the drone and flew in front of it. It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are deep in the red today. We're joined by Ken Crawford, portfolio manager with Argent Capital in Clayton, Missouri. Ken, thank you for joining us today. Looking at the market sell-off so far today, on a percentage basis, would you say how much of this is the banking sector, just investors leaving banking entirely until they can figure out what's going on? I think a good amount, Rob. I mean, you've had, obviously, the news with Silicon Valley Bank and uh, others, and then today you've got news of Credit Suisse being a little bit shaky. So I think investors are saying until they feel that the dust has settled, they're kind of backing away from, from banking and financials in general. And then when it comes to the uh, ongoing uh, interest rate hiking cycle, uh, I'm starting to see some analysts saying that uh, maybe the Fed is going to pause just a little bit until they can get a handle on what's happening in the banking sector. Is that something that we can count on? Because going back to 2008, uh, the Fed was reluctant initially to lower interest rates, even even if, as it was very obvious, there was something wrong. I don't know if count on is something that I would sign off on, but I think it's certainly becoming more and more a discussion. Uh, we mentioned the banks and the difficulty they've had uh, data today with producer price in, uh, index being lower than expected and other economic data being worse than expected uh, could indicate a slowdown in those pressure points for inflation, which would give the Fed an opportunity to back away or raise interest rates at a lower level than people had expected. But again, I think it's almost like the the financials and the banks, investors are going to wait to see what the Fed does. And the Fed likely is going to be "Quote unquote data dependent," and uh, the, we we have new data now and new uh, factors to consider. And uh, how much uh, will the uh, uh, the failures of the Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank in New York, and also you know the the problems plaguing Credit Suisse overseas uh, factor into their deliberations at their next meeting? I think considerably. I mean. Uh, banks going down is never a good thing. Uh, I think most. People understand that when there's a run on the bank, uh, it's difficult for a bank to survive, and the Fed has to provide some kind of stability, sense of stability, the Fed and the Treasury, that our banking system 
is is bulletproof. So I think they will take that into considerable consideration as they as they talk about what they're going to do going forward. And this may be a down the road discussion, but it, it, we're dealing with a factor today that we didn't have in 2008, and certainly didn't have uh, during previous bank runs. Is that uh, the the problems at Silicon Valley Bank really basically it spread on social media, and then everybody acted via their smartphone apps. Gone are the days. Mm-hmm in the 1930s when the tellers slowly counted your money to slow down a bank run. Uh, Now this spreads at the speed of social media, and how do regulators respond to that? I think that's a good question and a good observation. We are are running at the speed of electrons instead of the speed of feet. So the the classic scene in It's a Wonderful Life where you've got a bank run, you don't see that anymore. Um, As you said, you just have a few tweets, a few emails, and Silicon Valley Bank goes from $280 a share last Wednesday to zero uh, Friday with, with you know, just a handful of, of minutes and hours between. Ken Crawford, Portfolio Manager with Argent Capital in Clayton, Missouri. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, finding a balance between current need and savings for retirement. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and this afternoon we're putting the focus on retirement. Let's get some direction from Chris Everett, Financial Planner and President, Everett Wealth Solutions, based in Forest Park, author of the book, The Pres- for a healthy retirement. Chris, thank you for joining us today. Of all the discussion that we have on this program about money and investing and individual moves inside the stock market and trends that are taking place on a day-to-day basis, Chris, the way most people engage with the stock market is through their retirement accounts. And you begin in your 20s, and hopefully by the time you get to 65, 66, 67, uh, you can uh, ride off into the sunset for your from your employer. So what are some things you can do to make sure that dream can come true? So I think if you're between 30, 40, 50, you may be thinking that you have to fit paying for college in there and or paying it off before you're thinking about retirement. Yeah, that's correct. I, you know, but I say you've got to do both. Get started by discovering, and I want to underline and bold that word, what your current saving and spending pattern will produce down the road. You know, a wonderful couple, the couple of kids was referred to me because their friends could hear the stress in their conversations around money. They're in their mid-30s. He knew how to make a ton of money, but he didn't manage it very well. She, on the other hand, grew up with a lot of money without a lot of money, excuse me, and was always penny pinching. So there were many money disagreements all the time, and they were so tired of it, they wanted to find a way to stop arguing, so their friends referred us. Because they were ready and they were determined to get their money piece right, they hired me. We looked at everything in their life that had a dollar sign connected to it, and I mean everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. And then we said, look, here's what your retirement might look like if you keep doing what you're doing. Here's where some of the not so obvious wealth leaks are and how you could stop them. And here's what's going to happen if you pass away suddenly or become disabled. Here's how you can afford college for both kids and not go broke. Here's how to allocate your investments better to align with your risk tolerance. Here's how to improve your cash flow and your ability to save. Here's how to get out of debt, including your mortgage. 
your student loans, your credit cards faster than you ever thought possible while building savings. It's always important to do both when you're in that pattern. Now, we, that. I mean, we, we talk about people who might be behind the eight ball, but what about people who could be very conservative in their saving approach? They are they, they're, they're, they are human squirrels. They, uh, they, they, they stash everything away. Uh, what happens when you talk to people who are, are, are overzealous about saving? Well, I say read the prescription for a healthy retirement because sometimes that will put you in a trick bag as well because money is not math. And so sometimes people will do things like pay cash for everything in that position and they don't stop to recognize that there's lost opportunity on that cash that you just plunked down on a car or on a house or on something else. And so that's an interesting question. I think retirement planning, just like the book says, it's, you should understand your financial options, but you have to have a proper diagnosis. So it should work like medicine. It should be specific for you because too many people, I don't care how old you are, you fall into this common knowledge trap. You fall into that trap and you're likely to leak a ton of money unknowingly, very unnecessarily. And unfortunately, in this day of rapid information, you can Google anything, but most wealth leaks have been built on cookie cutter thinking you can find on the internet. You're unique. You should be treated that way. There are so many ways to thrive in retirement, but you've got to do some specific planning to your situation to see what's possible. Chris Everett, financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions in Forest Park, author of the book, The Prescription for a Healthy Retirement. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday and still to come, insider help on buying a car. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Personal Finance Wednesday continues and in this segment we're getting help in buying a car from someone who's been on the inside of the business. We welcome in Matt Jones, spokesman with True based in Los Angeles. Matt, thank you for joining us today. For the last uh, couple of years uh, during the chip crisis and uh, all sorts of supply chain problems, it seems like the car dealer and the car seller had all the leverage when it came to negotiating and buying a car. Is that still the case? Well, things are softening. As inventory starts to grow, it is becoming a little bit less uh, of just a seller's game. Um, We are starting to see incentives. Uh, people are beginning to negotiate, but it is dependent upon exactly what a person is buying. So uh, inventory is key. If you're looking for something that's still pretty scarce, it is still kind of a, a seller's game. But if you're looking for something that has loosened up a little bit, yeah, things are not quite normal, but they're getting back there. When is a good time if if you if you're if you're not under the gun, for example, let's say you know you're not dealing with a, a, a car maintenance crisis that necessitates getting a new car right away. You have some time. Uh, when's a good time to go to the lot uh, to take advantage of of dealers just needing to get rid of inventory? Oh, see, that's a great question. Um, traditionally, the end of the month is a great time to go, um, and and that still holds true. Uh, dealers and salespeople alike have quotas that they need to meet. And so if a, a smart shopper, if they're not necessarily under the gun, they can take you know, their time in making sure that they're looking for, their, that they find the right vehicle for their needs. But when it comes time to put action around buying, uh, the end of the month tends to be a good time. So does the end of the quarter. And surprisingly, the last week of the year is also a very good time to buy a car. 
And then uh, as the uh, as the buyer, I mean, you can take all your time in the world when it comes to uh, test driving and looking in different vehicles. Um, is there some way that you could possibly play dealerships off against each other and say, look, I was looking at this particular establishment and they're willing to offer this. Uh, will the salesperson bite on that uh, tactic? Probably not as much as they used to. Most dealers are pretty smart and they have a good idea of who's selling what. Here's a tactic that works really well. I know this is going to sound kind of silly, but actually make a good friend of the person who's selling you the car. And here's why. They will know secrets about what's on sale or what's coming up on sale, what the dealership needs to get rid of that a shopper's not going to uncover on their own. A shopper's only going to be looking at one or two particular cars, whereas a person who is in at the dealership will know everything about about all 200 cars or 300 cars, and they can really help navigate you. I know know it sounds silly, but it's actually the truth. A person who is on the ground in the store will really know the best vehicles that are, uh, you know, eligible for that deep discount that people are looking for. And then lastly is a question about psychology. Uh, What type of mental posture should you as the buyer adopt going into the dealership? Uh, Should you go in there with the macho business mindset, I'm going to win this deal, or uh, should you come in there with eyes wide open with a lot of questions? Yeah, be the second guy or second person. And I know it sounds counterintuitive, but think of the world that we live in, of social media, of reviews, of Yelp, so forth and so on. Everybody's reputation is important to them. So a dealership is more likely to go out of their way for that shopper that they think is going to say something nice about them, refer friends to them, be a pleasure to deal with, as opposed to the shopper that's just going to want to beat them up, uh, say bad things, and can't ever be, be satisfied. In the old days, you walk in with your chest out and your fist balled up and you say, hey, I'm ready to fight. Now, it's not quite the same thing. Walk in, try to be nice. Of course, do your research prior, but the person who's wide-eyed, the person who is interested, and the person who looks like they may lead to future business is going to be the one that the dealership is most likely to uh, bend over backwards for. Matt Jones, spokesman, True Car, based in Los Angeles. Thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of the Noon Business Hour, check out the replay podcast, available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.
Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. Nerd Wallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app.